Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 130. Today's big Bible question, how do we keep our eyes on Jesus? So, hello and happy Thursday to you. Today is the beginning of week eight of quarantine for us in Central California, or the Bay Area, which I suppose we in Monterey Salinas are sort of close to. It seems like a long time. If you told me at the beginning of the year that my whole city would spend eight weeks in quarantine this year, and you somehow convinced me that it was absolutely true, then after I got over my stunned silence, I guess I would begin to prepare for the end of the world. Anything that could keep a whole city, or a whole state, or a whole country, as it were, in quarantine for weeks at a time, must be horrifying. And yet the reality of what a lot of us have been experiencing is somewhat less than uh, most Outbreak-style movies would depict. It is definitely unnerving. And I actually don't really think people are exaggerating the coronavirus by and large. At least I don't think the experts are. Some experts seem to consider it slightly worse than the flu, uh, but not really horrible. And some experts see it and seem to consider it slightly less worse than Captain Trips or XDR tuberculosis. But when taken in total, if you really kind of listen to several people, the experts seem to paint a pretty accurate picture. Coronavirus is quite serious, much more so than the flu, but it is not a death sentence to most people. I'd love to know, and I wonder if you've thought about this, I'd love to know what we will think about all of this in a couple of years. Will we think that we overreacted or will we think that we underreacted to this threat? Honestly, I think it's probably too soon to tell. But my guess is, in the moment at least, we sort of uh, properly reacted. We're right there in a pretty good range. Two years from now, when we are likely to have some more affected COVID-19 treatments than we do now, I suspect that we're going to kind of look back and think that we mostly overreacted. But honestly, we don't really have effective treatments right now, at least in a large scale. Now, my money's on remdesivir as a good treatment, and actually I've been thinking that since March, uh, but I'm not literally investing in it, though I probably would if I could. Well, listen, you didn't come here for the coronavirus musings of a non-expert, uh, but let's, so let's get to the meat of the podcast. Today's Bible readings include Numbers chapter 15, Psalms 51, Isaiah 5, and Hebrews 12. We're going back to Hebrews for our focus passage and primarily to Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 for the origin of our big Bible question of the day. And honestly, since the pandemic has hit, either Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, or maybe Psalms 34, maybe Psalms 46, one of those three has been uh, a Bible passage that has been most comforting to me. I've really clinged to it. I've read it a lot. I've kept going back to it, and it has been most uh, fruitful and helpful and comforting for me. So let's start off reading Hebrews 12. Pay particular attention to the first four verses, although the whole thing is really great. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had a human father's discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and winking knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears, because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festal, festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he is promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As I said, the first part of Hebrews 12, like, look, this is one of the, honestly, I, I don't know if you should rank these things, but Hebrews 12, this is just one of the most awesome chapters in the entire Bible. It's loaded. It is loaded with good things. It, as a preacher, I could spend literally a year preaching through Hebrews 12. There is so much good meat in there so many challenging and encouraging passages, so much theological depth. 
It's amazing. But it's the first four verses recently that has become a precious passage to me over the past eight or so weeks of uncertainty. You know, seven weeks of quarantine with a family of seven, all of us eager to be anywhere but home. You know how it is. It can be trying and wearying. This passage gives us great counsel on how to get through times of weariness, times of hindrance, and honestly, times when we just want to give up. What is the counsel? Well, we're to keep our eyes on Jesus or fix our eyes on Jesus or set our eyes on Jesus. When we consider him, we will somehow, some way, have the strength to keep going. It's a great passage and it's very spiritual sounding, but the big question we're going to grapple with a little bit today is this. How? How do we do this? Practically speaking, what does it look like to fix our eyes or keep our eyes on Jesus since, you know what, he's no longer here on earth physically and he's basically invisible to us? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, we do want to tell you this. On the website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, you need to go there today more than most days. Uh, I have a video on there from a YouTube channel called, I think it's called Full of Eyes. It's one of my favorites of all time. And uh, this guy does animations to amazing worship songs that illustrate the songs and illustrate the gospel. And there's one I have on the website today, BibleReadingPodcast.com, for episode 130. You've just got to see. It's called Set Your Eyes, and it's stunningly amazing. And it's a great illustration of what it means to fix our eyes on Jesus. Well, the thing about it is, the Bible is not just going to give us spiritual counsel that sounds good, but is honestly just kind of impossible to follow in a practical sort of way. So I believe that there are at least two ways, uh, and we've discussed these partially before, there's two ways that we can keep or focus or fix or set our eyes on Jesus and consider him. Two ways that are a kind of a blend between spiritual and practical. Okay, so number one, we consider Jesus. We keep our eyes on him. We focus on him through his word. I know you're saying, duh. But just hang on, because I think this is going to get deeper than you might expect. We do this by focusing on him through his word, by reading his teachings, his message, and reading the gospel's description of his life, death, and resurrection. This is using what many might call our mind's eye fixing our mind's eye on Jesus, but with the Word of God, I believe it goes beyond merely imagination. We're told earlier in Hebrews 4.12 that God's Word is, quote, living and active. And I'm not sure that most of us have fully apprehended just exactly what Hebrews 4.12 means. I'm quite certain that it means that the words of the Bible are far different from the words of other books. When we read Tom Sawyer, we don't encounter Mark Twain, but only sort of his imagination. Likewise, reading anything by Shakespeare or Milton or Dante or Lushan or Steinbeck, Hemingway or Alexander Solzhenitsyn, all of these are brilliant writers and brilliant minds, but we don't actually interact with them when we read their books, do we? Because they're all dead. When we read the Word of God, however, we do encounter God and His living and active presence. I don't know exactly how that works, but John 1 tells us that Jesus is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's a mind-blowing passage. Revelation 19 further tells us that one of the names of Jesus is, quote, the Word of God. What does that mean exactly? Well, 
I don't know for certain, but I believe these passages mean that we actually somehow, some way, encounter Jesus, the Son of God, in his word, in the Bible, in the passages about him. Not merely his teachings, but we encounter himself. Now, I think we see this dynamic a little bit in John 15. Initially, Jesus is talking about his disciples abiding in him, and he in them, or he in us, but then something shifts in verse 7. And John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Now, this is in the passage we're talking about abiding in Jesus. And it's almost as if the word of Jesus and the presence of Jesus are synonymous, similar. I'm kind of struggling with words here, but I believe the Bible is pointing us to a very interesting dynamic in which the living word in us is more than a mere remembrance of the teaching of Jesus, but is itself the presence of Jesus. The bottom line is this. The primary way I believe we look to Jesus as the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith, and the primary way we consider or concentrate on Jesus is through his living word. And when we do that, we will be supernaturally enabled to keep going We will be supernaturally invigorated so that we won't lack energy. It will wake us up on the inside. It will propel us forward in the spirit. I also believe that there is a second way that is somehow pretty much related to the first way that we look to Jesus. So yesterday, Hebrews 11, we discussed how faith is not merely a a wishful hope or a good bet, But faith, according to Hebrews 11, is substance. It's reality. It's concrete. The the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is seen. And a few days before that, when we read through Hebrews 8 and 9, we saw how Jesus, as the high priest of heaven, is actively in the tabernacle of heaven, mediating between God and man. In other words, drawing us and God the Father closer. And he's also interceding for his people. Picture this and understand this. Jesus is right now. As you hear this and as I speak it, he is right now mediating, ministering, interceding in the heavenly tabernacle, ministering before God the Father on behalf of his followers. I believe we can look to Jesus in the heavenly tabernacle by faith. In fact, we're invited into the heavenly tabernacle to boldly come in by faith. And we can look to Jesus in that way, in the same way that John Piper was talking about yesterday in his discussion of faith in Hebrews 11. Since faith is not mere hope, but an actual concrete assurance of reality, we know that Jesus is in the tabernacle praying for us and mediating for us. Now, Robert Murray McShane uh, was a young pastor who died way too young, but he's the guy that in the 1800s put together the Bible reading plan we are going through. He was a Scottish pastor, um, an amazing guy, an awesome guy, uh, and, and, and he said this, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Now I'm going to read that quote again because I want you to get it. McShane said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, 
I would not fear a million enemies, but distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And that is absolutely 100% the case. And it is something that keeps us from being weary and quitting. Jesus is praying for you and me right now. Even though right now, as I speak, is going to be a different time from when you hear this. It doesn't matter. The Bible says Jesus ever lives to intercede for his people. So what's he doing right now? He's ministering in the tabernacle. He's bringing us together with the Father, and he is praying for us. He is interceding for us right now. Know that by faith. Don't merely just think, oh, that sounds good. I think I'll believe that. No, no. It's true. And that's it. By faith, we believe with real certainty that Jesus is praying for his people and mediating on our behalf. And knowing that gives us perseverance and strength and hope and energy and causes us not to quit. So in this way, we are seeing Jesus, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, setting our eyes on Jesus, considering Jesus. And in that way, in, we do it in that way, knowing by faith that he's interceding for us and interacting with him by faith through his word. And when we do that, we have the presence of Jesus in our lives, which quickens and invigorates and energizes and propels us forward. So let me close with two more quick encouraging truths. Uh, Louis Burkhoff, uh, earlier this week we read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which is my favorite, but Louis Burkhoff also has a good one. And he says this, it's cons- it's a consoling thought that Jesus is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our own prayer life, that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers, and that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscience, conscious and against the enemies which threaten us, though we don't even notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. Wow, that's fantastic. Praise God for that reality and that truth. As Romans 8.34 puts it, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, he was the one raised who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Hooray, Jesus is praying for us. Hooray, we encounter Jesus himself somehow, some way. I don't understand it, but we encounter Jesus when we go to the word. So friends, be encouraged to persevere and keep going because when you're in the word of God, you are encountering God. You are encountering the living word of Jesus and it is building you up whether you see it or not. And the knowledge, the faith-based knowledge that Jesus is in the tabernacle right now praying for you, interceding for you and me and his whole family and mediating on our behalf is something that is simply beyond encouragement in its power to uplift. Meditate on that. Let it get to the center of your mind and let it encourage you. Amen. Numbers chapter 15, verse 1. The Lord instructed Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land I am giving you to settle in, and you make a food offering to the Lord from the herd of the flock, either a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow, or as a free will offering, or at your appointed festivals to produce a pleasing aroma for the Lord, the one presenting his offering to the Lord is also to present a grain offering, 
of two quarts of fine flour mixed with a quart of oil. Prepare a quart of wine as a drink offering with the burnt offering or sacrifice of each lamb. If you prepare a grain offering with a ram, it is to be four quarts of fine flour mixed with a third of a gallon of oil. Also present a third of a gallon of wine for a drink offering as a pleasant aroma to the Lord. If you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering or as a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a fellowship offering to the Lord, a grain offering of six quarts of fine flour mixed with two quarts of oil is to be presented with the bull. Also present two quarts of wine as a drink offering. It is a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is to be done for each ox, ram, lamb, or goat. This is how you were to prepare each of them, no matter how many. Every Israelite is to prepare these things in this way when he presents a food offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. When an alien resides with you or someone else is among you and wants to prepare a food offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he is to do exactly as you do throughout your generations. The assembly is to have the same statute for both you and the resident alien as a permanent statute throughout your generations. You and the alien will be alike before the Lord. The same law and the same ordinance will apply to both you and the alien who resides with you. The Lord instructed Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, After you enter the land where I am bringing you, you are to offer a contribution to the Lord when you eat from the food of the land. You are to offer a loaf from your first batch of dough as a contribution. Offer it just like a contribution from the threshing floor. Throughout your generations, you are to give the Lord a contribution from the first batch of your dough. When you sin unintentionally and do not obey all these commands that the Lord spoke to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you through Moses, from the day the Lord issued the commands and onward throughout your generations, and if it was done unintentionally without the community's awareness, the entire community is to prepare one young bull for a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and drink offering according to the regulation, and one male goat as a sin offering. The priest will then make atonement for the entire Israelite community so that they may be forgiven, for the sin was unintentional. They are to bring their offering, a food offering to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintentional sin. The entire Israelite community and the alien who resides among them will be forgiven since it happened to all the people unintentionally. If one person sins unintentionally, he is to present a year-old female goat as a sin offering. The priest will then make atonement before the Lord on behalf of the person who acts in error, sinning unintentionally, and when he makes atonement for him, he will be forgiven. You are to have the same law for the person who acts in error, whether he is an Israelite or an alien who resides among you. But the person who acts defiantly, whether native or resident alien, blasphemes the Lord. That person is to be cut off from his people. He will certainly be cut off because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his command. His guilt remains on him. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the entire community. They placed him in custody because it had been decided... It had not been decided what should be done to him. Then the Lord told Moses, The man is to be put to death. The entire community is to stone him outside the camp. So the entire community brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them throughout their generations they are to make tassels for the corner of their garments and put a blue cord on the tassel in each corner. These will serve as tassels for you to look at 
so that you may remember all the Lord's commands and obey them and not prostitute yourselves by following your own heart in your own eyes. This way you will remember and obey all my commands and be holy to your God. I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Psalm 51, a prayer for restoration. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem." Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I am about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room and you alone are left in the land. Indeed, many houses will become desolate, grand and lovely ones without inhabitants, for a ten-acre vineyard will yield only six gallons of wine, and ten bushels of seed will yield only one bushel of grain. Woe to those who rise early in the morning in pursuit of beer, who linger into the evening inflamed by wine. At their feasts they have lyre, harp, tambourine, flute, and wine, They do not perceive the Lord's actions, and they do not see the work of his hands. Therefore my people will go into exile, because they lack knowledge. Her dignitaries are starving, and her masses are parched with thirst. 
Therefore, Shale enlarges its throat and opens wide its enormous jaws, and down goes Zion's dignitaries, her masses, her crowds, and those who celebrate in her. Humanity is brought low. Each person is humbled, and haughty eyes are humbled. But the Lord of armies is exalted by his justice, and the holy God demonstrates his holiness through his righteousness. Lambs will graze as if in their own pasture, and resident aliens will eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who drag iniquity with cords of deceit and pull sin along with cart ropes. To those who say, let him hurry up and do his work quickly so that we can see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel take place so that we can know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves clever. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and who are champions at pouring beer who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of justice. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes straw and as dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will become like something rotten and their blossoms will blow away like dust. For they have rejected the instruction of the Lord of armies and they have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the Lord's anger burned against his people. He raised his hand against them and struck them. The mountains quaked, and their corpses were like garbage in the streets. And all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is still raised to strike. He raises a signal flag for the distant nations and whistles for them from the ends of the earth. Look how quickly and swiftly they come. None of them grows weary or stumbles. No one slumbers or sleeps. No belt is loose and no sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharpened, and all their bows strung. Their horses' hooves are like flint. Their chariot wheels are like a whirlwind. Their roaring is like a lion's. They roar like young lions. They growl and seize their prey and carry it off, and no one can rescue it. On that day they will roar over it, like the roaring of the sea. When one looks at the land, there will be darkness and distress. Light will be obscured by the clouds. Amen. Thank you, God, for your grace. Lord, we have sinned, and you have provided in your grace a payment for that sin that satisfied your wrath and that provided an entrance for us into heaven. We look to Jesus and we believe. We look to you and trust you. Increase our faith in Jesus' name and bless these friends who are listening. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.